0: If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir,
1: it's Heretic Happy Hour. Yeehaw! Hey everyone, welcome back to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. Oh my goodness, we are continuing the amazing, the astounding, the pulse-pounding parable series that we're doing, and uh, this is yet another amazing episode. So sit back, pull yourself your a, a favorite beverage, and get ready. Uh, my name is Keith Giles. I am one of your co-hosts. I am the author of the Jesus Un-series. Um, it's a series of books kind of talking through deconstruction and some very specific issues throughout deconstruction. Most recently, Jesus Unforsaken which is about penal substitutionary atonement theory and how it was made up. It was made up in the 1500s. Yes, exactly. And a better way to think about what's going on on the cross and things like that. So I'm also joined by my co-hosts, and we are so excited to uh, jump into this uh, episode today. So um, Katie, Derek, and Matt, introduce yourselves.
0: Hi, everyone. This is Katie Valentine. I'm the founder of the Metaphysical Christian Facebook group. I'm the author of Sex, Slavery, and Self-Control, an Appalling Community. And um, I can't wait to put all those topics together as we come to you today about all of these wonderful parables.
2: And I absolutely love that, Katie, that metaphysics and sex in the same sentence. It's beautiful. Anyway, I'm Derek Day, and I'm the author of Deconstructing Religion, uh, the blogger of the Love minus religion blog on, uh, Patheos. <laughs> Had a little brain fart there. oh and, man, uh, Derek. Yeah, boy. <laughs> yeah. And also the, uh, the host of the forward podcast. Yes. Yeah, shameless, shameless plug there. Uh, but anyway, uh, it's good to be here. And I think Matt, that makes you up next.
3: That makes me up next. Yes. Uh, I am Matt DiStefano, the author of multiple books, some good, some not so good, but I have one book that um, I want to tell everyone about. If you haven't picked up Before You Lose Your Mind, it's 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 written by a bunch of us, uh, a bunch yeah, of us boy. heretics, apostates, whatever we are, Keith, Katie, Derek, myself, and a bunch of other choir authors. Um, check it out. 99 cents on Kindle worth every penny. 9 in paperback, worth every penny. And um, we have some beautiful reviews rolling in. If you've uh, read it, please <laughs> give us a review. I noticed a certain one-star review that was the most recent as of recording this, and I just... I love to see those because they make me chuckle. But for most of you, hopefully, you can give us at least at least two stars or something. But um, if you have read the book, please head on over to Amazon give us a give us a review, and that would be fantastic. And as always, happy to be here.
1: Yeah, check it out. Yeah, it, it is still as as of this recording, it is still number one. It's been number one since the day we launched it. Woo-hoo! Yeah, boy! yeah, I'm really proud of it.
3: that we have sold our soul to the devil. Keith.
1: That must be and um, and you know even even that one star review, if you really read carefully, it sort of is a great. Pitch for the book like like you know like someone even said that like they read that review and they were like this makes me want to read it even more <laughs>
0: I would, I'd, like, I'd like to quote that review most yeah. notably is their take on sexuality that's all that needs to be said pick up that's, the book that's right exactly our take on sexuality <laughs> is fun that's right you, you will not be disappointed 99 is that what, is that what it says
3: the, the, our take on sexuality is fun no that's what i said Oh, I thought that's what the review yes. said. No, the review I was just like says, "Isn't it
0: supposed yeah. to be fun?" <laughs> Most, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah, it no, it right. says, yeah. "Most notably, is their take on sexuality." And then, oh. uh, reader, uh, listeners, you can go read the rest of that review for uh, for yourself as you're writing your own. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah, Katie, I feel like that's a little bit of a shot at you.
0: I I will take it and wear it. I'll. I have another badge for my Girl Scout uniform now. There awesome. you go. But speaking of reviews and ratings, by the
1: way, if you have downloaded the book on Kindle or if you have purchased a physical copy and read the book and liked it, please, please go back, give us a rating, give us a re- review, write a review, because um, it really goes a long way. I think we only have around 13 or 14 uh, up at the moment. Um, the magic number, we want to get as close, close to 100 or more as we can. Um, so yeah, that, w- that would really help. So please help us out. We want to spread the word. We want people to, uh, as many people as possible to get a hold of the book buy this damn book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I mean, you I Ricky was, Gantz? There is one more thing that I think is just worth saying on air as we're, uh, as we're wrapping up our intros, because he does say subscribe to the ha- uh, happy heretic hour podcast and listen in. These churchy frat boys will lavish you with their foul crude language, the F word, cussing and bitterness and rancid sex jokes. You go. And don't grab a beer and settle in from some good old theological porn. And I'm taking issue with that. <laughs> I am not a churchy frat boy. I am not a churchy frat boy. The rest of that, yeah, joining uh, the fun. That actually said, we should make a bumper sticker or something, a T-shirt.
1: That's like a great ad for the podcast. I couldn't have exactly. said it better. This that is, is that's very way, accurate, yeah. Very good way to describe theological porn. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Katie, Katie needs a T-shirt that says, I am not your fucking American theological churchy. frat boy.
0: <laughs> oh, man. And, and, and by the way, just for
2: just in case anyone is concerned, let me just go ahead and put it out here right now and just say, "Fuckety, fuck, 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 <laughs> fuck. Okay? Just to get it all out
0: there. Get it all. I'm going to try to make I'm, my section very rancid today. All right. Please, better.
2: please do. The more the the more, the more merrier. But, but guess what, guys? If you want to contact the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, you can do so by exercising finger dexterity. I'm doing my Blake Sheldon impression. Right? <laughs> You can dial 240-343-7379. Once again, it's 240-343-7379. And we have a text, so we will roll that beautiful text footage. And it reads, regarding episode 100, hmm, what verse would the Calvinists remove? God is love. If that, if that verse doesn't pose a serious problem to their doctrine, dogma, theology, then they truly somehow are superior and like souls and somehow not really human. Love this episode. Matt, thank you for sharing more about who you are. Although limited from afar, glad to be a part of your journey in life. Your life is beautiful. It's beautiful, Matt. Continue to live out that journey with peace, joy, and health. Until next time, this is that dude from Michigan.
1: Who's that dude from Michigan? Do you know who that is? No, it's just is.
3: from oh, He's is from Ohio.
1: Oh, oh, look at that. Hey, Jamal's you know, but, not from
2: I mean, Michigan, is
1: he? I- I- yeah, he's a big Wolverines fan, isn't he? He was like a huge, huge Wolverines huge I remember, Wolverine listen, we used, to, we used to be, you know, we co-hosted Matt and I with, with Jamal. And the one thing I remember about him was he was just a Wolverine freak. He loved Michigan. He loved him. And yeah. he was Don't always going blue. on about Michigan. Yeah, I remember that. Do you remember that, Matt? Yeah, know, yeah. Y'all know I'm from
2: Michigan, right? Uh-huh.
1: Oh, yeah. There you
3: go. I am. There well, you thank, thank you, Um Thank you, Jamal from Michigan. Um, thanks, Jamal from Michigan. I, I, yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening. I, um, you know, I, about that God is love passage. From what I understand, Calvin in his, um, what was it? His dogmatics is that what it is? Or am I mixing him and Bart up? Um, either way, his his huge book that he wrote. He never commented on on First John four eight, which is the God is love passage.
1: It must be the reason why I've never once heard a Southern Baptist pastor ever do a sermon. On that passage, and even even well, actually the entire book there you go. of First John, just stay away from that entire go. book.
3: There you go. Wonder why?
2: Wonder why? I do not suffer a Southern Baptist to teach.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love your remix of that verse. That's great. <laughs> I love the lo- I love the love for you in this uh, in this text, Matt.
3: Yes, thank you. Um I know it's probably not Jamal. He you know, to be fair, I think we got that wrong. Jamal's an Ohio State guy. So what? um Are you sure I'm But I whoever, i do not know I don't know who that dude from Michigan is, but thank you for listening. Thank you for the love. It's very um in spite of some of the hate we might get from people,
1: mm-hmm. it's
3: great to get the love.
1: It is it nice. Is. Once in a while. You know what? That is a once great once in a while. Come on, let's all let's all
2: sing it together. Kumbaya, Kumbaya, my Lord. Kumbaya. <laughs> <That's>
0: <laughs> Matt and I are thought. tastefully declining. Yeah, I am, taste I am declining. Past the smores. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I, yeah, we love the text. Thank you for the love. Y'all continue to send in the love, the great questions. Uh, it sounds like this might be a great a place to introduce our heretic of the week. It's the heretic of the
4: week. I'm Nora Sophia, and I'm a heretic.
0: Hi. Hi. Nora. Nora. <laughs> Hey, Nora. Thanks for being here so much. Um, This is such a treat for us. Tell us a little bit about yourself and why, tell us why someone might call you a heretic.
4: Well, first of all, I feel like I'm home. So thank you for welcoming me. Um, People would probably and do, and I often refer to myself as a heretic because I am not mainstream anything. In fact, I have multiple streams that lead to Nora. Uh, and so from Buddhism, Hinduism, shamanism, Christianity, you name it, I believe there's beauty in all. Uh, and those all create and make me who I am.
3: You, you, sound, you sound like my people.
4: I'll tell you what. I mean, listening to you guys is, is truly like coming home and uh, love it. Love what you guys are about.
3: Oh, talk good. talk talk more about shamanism. What what is that? I know uh once you say that word our our listeners are going to their curiosity will be peaked as is mine. You're
0: you're going to deepen some people's heresies right now.
3: Yeah, let's yeah. go deep. I love
4: it. So <laughs> Take Take So first of all, don't reach out for me to put a curse on anyone. Um
3: <laughs> That was my follow-up question, so I guess I I'll know. save it.
4: <laughs> don't have me do that. Don't make me um Cast a spell for you to fall in love. No, no, none of that. So so my family on my mother's side is from central Mexico, um, which is home to the Aztecs, the Mayans, Toltec, really. So the word Toltec actually means artist. Um, And my family, I would be considered a fifth generation shaman. Um, For us, being a shaman means, and really it's available for anyone. I would say our heritage is obviously richer and I'll go into some of those things. But for me, anyone could be a shaman who wants to awaken to the personal freedom that is within each one of us. But it's up to us to, as the artist, paint the canvas for what that looks like and be willing to sort of throw away all the other brushstrokes from everyone else in your life. Tell us a
0: little bit more. Like, I love the artistry ima- imagery. Yeah. And shaman, I've done just a li- I've done enough reading to be really dangerous with this and to not really uh-huh. know what I'm talking about. Can um, you tell <laughs> on people? Oh, yeah.
4: <laughs>
0: yeah um, that's, that, not, that's not the first thing I would think of, but I, you know, um, I guess my understanding of shamanism is um, people who work with energy. Does that, is that part of your definition or is it very, and it, it's probably very culturally located too?
4: It is. It is. So I would say the shamans of Mexico and probably Central America are more focused on being for the tribe or the whole or your family, yourself primarily. Um, I would say shamanism, as it appears in other cultures, is more about doing the healing and things like that. Now, let me back up a bit because there is so much healing. In the Toltec way of shamanism. And where that comes in is because you literally are taught how to undo so much of the addictions, for lack of a better word, that plague us to create emotional poison for our lives. Um, so there is healing in that, um, and there is energy. In that we often wouldn't refer to it as energy there's an interconnectedness right so if you think of the mexican flag what does it have on it it has the eagle with the snake in its mouth people don't realize the beauty behind there's a story behind that and every shaman whatever culture knows that storytelling is so integral Because storytelling, regardless whether it's shamanism or whether it's watching gladiator or Braveheart, pierces the veil of the mind. It becomes the tuning fork. So back to the flag. The reason the Aztecs were birthed in the way that they were, they had the great shaman of their tribe. He told them that there was a great transformation coming and he would have to go. So they sat around a bonfire. He threw his his magic dust. This beautiful blue light came and he said, tomorrow, take only what you need. Sounds like Exodus, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Take only what you need. Do not take the things that don't serve you any longer. You are going to move. This is how you'll know where you're to land. You will see the great eagle biting the head of a snake over a cactus garden. The next day when they woke, the shaman, the great shaman was no longer in his body, meaning he had passed. So they did as he said, and they took light things with them, traveled when they saw a beautiful cactus garden on an island, an eagle that swooped down, put the snake in its mouth. And they said, we're here. This is what the great shaman was talking about. So that night they lit a fire, sat around. And when they did, they saw the blue light again. And the shaman said, This you've made the great journey. Now you have to make another journey. And they said, what? We've traveled so far. They were exhausted. And he said, the eagle represents truth. The snake is lies. The cactus garden is your life. So when you allow the eagle to eat the lies, that's when you begin cultivating your garden within people don't know. That's what the Mexican flag is. Isn't that fun? So. so that is what we live by as shamans is helping people as a, the the eagle eats the lies to remove all that and to cultivate the garden within
0: very cool mm-hmm.
1: i love the storytelling aspect of it and and how it's less about uh, if i'm understanding it correctly is less about sort of incantations and um, chanting and magic dust and things like that and more about Telling stories, as you said, that resonate, that create the sort of tuning fork within us that that unleashes something that we go, yes, right. This could lead like it's a story that leads us to something that's true.
4: Absolutely, and I think that's what we miss even about how empire with the church was formed, right? Yes. Because we wanted the prescription. If we do it in our lives. Just tell us what to do, and we'll go yes. do it. But everything really is about coming home within your personal freedom. Everybody's story is different, but yeah. we all have to be willing to do the inner work to arrive there.
1: Yeah, that's so what,
3: amazing. What, what you're talking about, uh, it sounds like like the truths found in all the faith traditions that the mystics find. What, what you're saying resonates with Mahayana Buddhism, what you're saying resonates with the mystics of, of the, you know, the Franciscans and the Trappists yeah. and, and the the Sufis in, in Islam. And, and it's just so, I, it's just so interesting that, you know, you get down to South American and Central American shamanism. And it's like, no, that, I, I see the threads that are found through all the great faith traditions in what you're saying.
4: Absolutely. And this is my problem with people having to, identify right or label yeah or even say this is we call god god why do we call god god what that's why god's
3: we... name that's what yeah, god's yeah. Name. <laughs> his name is so god or it should
4: <laughs> be you know and and this is the thing with me i i feel like when you are willing to go through multiple streams of faith, it's like traveling through the wilderness and knowing when you've come across love yeah. because love beckons you love draws you in and for me, that's what it's all about. Yeah. If we can find the beauty in all people, as we say, and as they like to claim in, in, in you know, evangelical Christianity, and yet we can't find the beauty in all faiths, there's a problem. There's a disconnect there. Yeah. And
0: um, I, I want to um, just kind of put this out there and see if this resonates with you, that shamanism by itself isn't a religion.
4: No, it's a way of life.
0: Yeah. So it's a way of being and it can be applicable to lots of different cultures, religions, traditions. It's not relegated to just one. Uh, It's not a belief system.
4: Not at all. It's interesting, though, because one of my practices that I teach is lucid dreaming in Harmony, which is my company. And people go, that's weird. You know, Am I going to have to go to confession? Am I going to... It's lucid dreaming. There's no difference between being awake and being a, and being awake in your dream. And when you can visualize and get to that space where you're so stinking free that there's no difference and there's this there's just this variable that we call time. It's the most fun thing to do.
0: I'm totally I'm totally intrigued because dreams are like one of my jams. It's the whole they there they were actually my access point into metaphysics. Yes. And so like I help people with dreams, but lucid dreaming itself has been something that's eluded me. And just for our listeners, lucid dreaming, um, my definition of it anyway, is when you're in the dream, you know, you're dreaming and you can choose the direction of the dream. Um, And it's really cool when it happens and it happens very seldom for me. So life
4: goal. Thank you, Nora. Absolutely. You can even choose where to go. I mean, yeah. I will visualize and say, oh, I'm feeling like Turkey tonight. <laughs> so Then yeah. it begins and you're, you're out and uh, it's fun. The interesting thing, and I've studied this, I wear a Garmin smartwatch. It's a hybrid. I want it to look pretty cause I'm feminine, but also like, you know, really count all my stuff. So I can sleep 10 hours. In 15 minutes, I'm in REM. I stay there at least two hours to begin with. And then I'm in REM periodically. So when you look at my sleep chart, after 10 hours, I've only been in deep sleep nine minutes. Wow. (laughs) And you you feel adequately rested. I do. I do. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Don't take a road trip with Nora. No, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. So, can we
1: talk about this a little bit more? Because I, uh, I'm, I'm really intrigued. When I was in high school, my creative writing teacher actually walked the class for about a week through a lucid dreaming exercise. And like mm-hmm. for the first night, she told us, you know, to basically, I think it was the first night we were told. Um, like as you're falling asleep, as you're laying in bed, as you're you know the lights are off, you get you're falling asleep to just keep telling yourself it was something like, I'm gonna see my hands in my dream because if you can see your hands in your dream that you can control it theoretically. Sure. So we did that. and then so after like the first night, I mean, it worked that, that night I saw my hands in the dream and I knew I was dreaming and I could control things like so someone was coming after me and I could stop them and mm-hmm. I could I could control it, which was really cool. And then the second night, it was something like, You would pick a specific thing, like tonight I'm going to dream about whatever, like you said, I'm in Hawaii or I'm I'm five years old, or you just pick up and then you do. I mean, once you know, so these steps you can walk through, where eventually you are in control of the dream. And this was in high school. I mean, this was actually I was kind of freaked out by it to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, It was pretty intense. But can you talk a little bit about why or how? going through this lucid dreaming is helpful? Like, does it help you unlock like wisdom or is it about inner healing or is it about? You
4: know, it's, it's about all it? of that, Keith. And, and really for me with working with my clients with it, we tend to, whether or not we realize it, we live within boundaries. These boundaries can be so confining where when we really wish for something, maybe we're going through uh, the ability to, to do second half living, or we have been heartbroken and we really want to meet somebody who matches us on all levels or whatever it is. We think at some point, we may think consciously it's possible, but there's places in our subconscious that really don't believe it because yeah. we've been programmed somewhere. We've had some sort of wound. We've had an experience that overrides even the white knuckling effect and willing ourselves. Right? So what lucid dreaming allows us to do is begin removing all of the things that we term obstacle and we encounter space that is completely open. So for example, When I was going through so many life changes over the last couple of years, and I knew that I wanted to find a space that was, for me, what I would call harmony. It was harmonious, it's quiet, there's still community around me and so forth. I began writing a list consciously of what I wanted, and then I'd read that list before I'd go to sleep to visualize it. So for me, it's about co-creating. And and sort of integrating our conscious with our subconscious to visually bring to pass what we long for, and I will tell you that it's happened for me multiple times.
1: Yeah, that's so incredible. It's really fascinating. Um, and, and as you're talking, it's reminding me of um, I, I've not studied it very much at all. I mean, very, I, very, very little. I've read maybe two books uh, on the topic. Mm-hmm. But um, Carl Jung, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the, the uh, psychologist did some really yes. amazing work when it comes to things like he, he was convinced that so much uh, was wrapped up in the subconscious and the only way to access the subconscious was through the dreams. Sure. Uh, he kept these amazing dream journals and um, it was just really fascinating. And so it sounds like what you're saying is very much in line with some of the things that he had talked about.
4: I'm going to go a step further and I'm going to really spin your listeners minds. Okay. <laughs> okay. Because I just love doing that. Um, and Alexander, if you're listening, I am measured. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> He's always like, Nora. And I'm like, I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, <laughs> but if, if our Christian listeners would go into their scripture reading, where they see oftentimes the word Christ, substitute imagination, mm. because the ability to experience Christ within is to experience the fullness of all. So, what if it really is about allowing that to be? Because we put parameters even there. So, so Christ is the imagination, and anything is possible. Wow! That was first introduced by Goddard, Neville Goddard, um, Edgar Casey. Back in the, I mean, I consider them as part of my reading as St. John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila. It just, the, the, the ability to understand what is within us and how limited we live our lives is just, it's ridiculous, the limitations that we put on ourselves.
3: Wow. Yeah, ain't that the truth? Nora, um, you <laughs> have talked about a lot of things. Shamanism, yes. Christianity where did you come from? Where, where, um, what, what has your story been like? I, I'm sure we could talk for hours about it, but, um, kind of, kind of hit maybe the key, the key points that, that took you from wherever you came from to where you are now. Has there been a transformation? Did you have a evangelical background? Did you have a a non-Christian background? What was that like for you?
4: I think it would shock a lot of people to hear this. So I grew up in in South Texas in San Antonio, native San Antonian. My grandmother was very influential on me. Um, and she was a practicing shaman, obviously, Toltec. Um, she did things with me like she would say, um, you're connected to the trees. The tree is your brother and sister. Go out and tell me the story about the tree. Live as the tree. I mean, just things like that. So yes, I was given that magical, beautiful background, but then life happens. So things begin and sort of give us the filters over our lenses. And then I found myself again. So I was raised Roman Catholic, um, left the church, came into Methodism, was in seminary to be a Methodist pastor. Wow. Yeah. Then, um, began feeling and noticing that, It was very performance driven. I literally led with my back to the people. Mm. And that was really telling for me. And I I realized I really lost my way in the middle of that. I had allowed so many to speak over me to color my world. And it began, I mean, I had to really dismantle the atomic bomb that had become my life. And that included a divorce that included traveling to find myself again. When I went through all that, I came back to my roots of shamanism and multiple streams. And it felt as though I finally slew one of the biggest dragons in my life. And I was walking in my own footsteps once again, which Mm -hmm. led me to developing harmony. And that's why I do what I do for my work now.
1: Yeah, you know, and when you said when you said that thing about so many people had spoken over your life, um, what what resonates with me in that is um, I spent some time, uh, probably at least a decade, my wife Wendy and I, in um, the Vineyard Church movement. And not, this isn't bad. I'm not trying to to dump on them, but within that sort of charismatic kind of world, quite often people feel very very free to come up to you and pray over you and have a word for you and have this sort of, and they speak over you. And, you know, it's usually something really great. It's a blessing. It's a God's going to do great things and you're going to go here and do this and blah, blah, blah. And it's usually this very encouraging thing. But there's also um, in that kind of a way of thinking is sort of like you're allowing somebody else to tell your story. You're letting somebody else, put on you this expectation of who you're supposed to be and where you're supposed to go and what you're supposed to accomplish. And and it's done in such a way that it's it's usually done in a way that's very affirming and it feels really nice and really loving and warm and fuzzy. But it sort of overrides what maybe you <laughs> think about like what what are you hearing from God? What what is it that you feel like you who knows you better than you, right? You have a DNA, you have a direction, you have a purpose that's in you. It doesn't have to come from outside of you. Right. And I think and this maybe is getting to something else where so often in Christianity, we always assume that the truth and, and the answer is outside of ourselves. It's mm-hmm. something we have to find it and get it and seek it. And, and it's outside. It's not something that's within us. And what I hear you saying is what you learned to do was to say, forget about these outside voices that, that are speaking over me. And I want to I wanna listen to this voice within this uh this sort of like you said, tuning fork, this resonance within, because the answer is actually here. I already have it, I just have to learn how to listen to it.
4: Yes, in Toltec Wisdom, we call it Mitote, M-I-T-O-T-E, and it's learning to silence all the distractions. But we're raised as children to perform when yeah. you think about it. I mean, our parents do a great job, and we all need to have respect and civility but we're also taught performance if this then that it's almost like the scriptures right so when you behave then you get rewarded and behavior becomes a definition based on so many people so we learn all these masks all of these disguises we lose ourselves in the process because then when we have to be vulnerable or share something that goes against the norm then guess what we're ostracized We're mislabeled. We're a pariah. And what I have found in the last probably five years of my life is to honestly say, fuck you to all of (laughs) that. This is who I am. And if you don't like it, you know, I'm sorry, but this is me and I'm going to show up in my own identity and screw all of you. You don't have to like it. (laughs) I have to love myself. And so I can't tell you how many messages I get daily. Mostly and it's hilarious because it's from men. Men yeah. that are saying
3: no never.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> men are threatened by women who find their own way. What? what?
3: This is this is news to I, me. Hold on a
0: minute. let Nora, I want to compare <laughs> messages with you. We could we should keep laundry list and make them public. Create a blog.
4: <laughs> I do. And the, it's hilarious to me because they'll say, I had one that said, you call it as you see it. And I I said I'm gonna tweak that. I call it as I've experienced it. Mm-hmm. I do not just see things. You have to live it to share it or know. don't say anything at all. I want to be arm in arm next to the other people who are having their ass kicked in the arena yes. of life, yes. experimenting, figuring it out and just doing our best to get to back to us, not for anyone else. We don't have to serve anybody, not yeah. even the proverbial God that people talk about.
0: Well, I love that as you've described your your journey, um, I love that you've been seeking like that deep rootedness is how I'm experiencing, I think what you're saying, because so often when we, when we kind of free ourselves from like whatever, whatever shackles have bound us, we're just like, now I can do whatever I want. Right. And I don't really hear you saying that we can do whatever we want. We're free, we're free human beings. But what I hear you saying is I found my roots.
4: And yes, and I think that prescription of you is obviously different from different people. So I could be extreme and reckless and sure, dabble into as much as I want, but not everything that I dabble in is going to feel like home. Right. And so it's learning to define what home is for each one of us. Yeah. Well, um, tell
0: since you were for the first part of your life on um within kind of this institutional culture, you know, within Roman Catholicism, within United Methodists, both very um, hierarchical uh, in their own ways, but both with the, the beauties and the curses that come with that. Sure. Um, so what, how, how would you say that Jesus relates to your life now, however you define
4: um, that being? That's a great question. Um, the probably social justice aspect of who Jesus the Christ Jesus, I would say, Jesus, if we're just saying Jesus, the man, how I understand Jesus, the Christ as eternal, right? Jesus did not begin in Bethlehem. <laughs> as I tell people, yes. he's, Jesus, the Christ is eternal, but so am I. Mm. So, so should there be, you know, this, this focus on, I think there should be a focus on all people who are living out their purpose. My second father is Rabbi Tarlow, who was 32 years uh, the rabbi emeritus at Texas A&M College Station. He taught Bible at Texas A&M, which is hilarious because the kids would show up to class and say, Rabbi, which Bible should we bring? And he would say, it doesn't matter. They're all wrong if they're not the Hebrew Bible. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, so it's a matter of perspective. Our perspective, for example, the life according to Nora, is going to be filtered through that. How I even perceive, as you said, Jesus is going to be perceived even through that. The goal for me is shedding all of those filters so that I just get to receive the best of what it is that I'm studying in the moment, take it in and make it part of me, the parts that fit and the parts that don't, I get to leave behind.
1: Awesome. Wow. Nora, this is amazing. I I feel like we could talk for like two more hours. I'd like, I have so many, I have so many questions.
4: Well, it's happy um, hours expecting (laughs) a shot at two pillars.
1: But, um, what, if people are are listening to this and they are intrigued and I can't imagine that they wouldn't be, uh, they would like to know more about you and what you're doing and, uh, kind of follow along with what you've been doing and and what you are doing. Um, where, where would they do that? How could they kind of keep up with you?
4: Um, Sure. So the 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 website keeps me looking like I'm legitimate, right? <laughs> so that's norasophia.com. If you really want to day in and day out get to know me, go to social media, Facebook and Instagram. I'm really not a Twitter person yet. Maybe eventually that'll change, but but Facebook and Instagram definitely I post every day. And when I don't, people remind me that I haven't. It. <laughs> so it's fun.
3: Yeah, and absolutely. and you are involved with choir now, right? In some I place, love shape, choir. Or
4: form. Yes. I love Rafa. I love all of our extended family. And Alexandra and I are having the best time. We are excited, our first full year. We will have a book a quarter out, which is huge. That's great. Very excited nice. for. Carl and Anita, you know, and Ben, along, and our newest author is Tamara Ramirez, who's bringing a workbook that's contemplative and beautiful, and we're just over the moon excited. And Rafa has made us feel so welcome, and all of you are great.
1: Wow! Yeah, well, we're so we're excited to have you guys. Uh, uh, you're bringing so much rich, deep. Um, material and authors and thinking uh, and ideas to choir. We're we're very blessed to have you guys as part of the family, so welcome. Thank you. Damn, that was probably the best Heretic of the Week interview I think we have ever had. Wow! Thank you so much. That was awesome. You're goddamn awesome. right. Whew. Man.
3: I don't think it's fair to rank them, because <laughs> what about all of our other Heretics of the Week? They're going to get a little mad, because we know all of them listen regularly.
1: Every every heretic of the week interview is the best one until the next yeah. one.
3: Oh, I like so, that. Yeah, that is good. That that's is good.
2: good. That's quotable. We need to put that on a t shirt.
1: Yeah, hey, come on, Ralph. Add it to the list. There's a long list of t shirts we need to make. Sure.
0: I'm not. I'm not your church frat boy. Yes.
2: No, you <laughs> forgot. Not, you forget something, one. Katie. I'm not your fucking so I can't, church I can't frat thank boy.
0: Thank you for the <laughs> clarification. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well, as good, as good as that was and as good as those t-shirt ideas are, do we have a parable today? Whose parable is it today? Katie, did you pick it's, this it's one? It's
0: Jesus's parable. I thought it was. Uh, yeah, okay. Wah, wah,
3: wah. Where's the groan wah, button here?
0: Obviously. Uh, I did. I chose this parable. Um I ra- I rather like this parable. And um, we're talking about the parable of the sower and we're talking about the version found in Mark 4 uh, verses 1 through 20. So this is the parable where uh Jesus is teaching. It's it's quite near the beginning of the Gospel of Mark just through. Barely four chapters in, and there's a sower. He go he sows seed, and the seed falls on four different kinds of ground: the seed on the path, the seed that's mixed up with the thorns, the seed on the rocky ground, and then finally the seed in the good soil. Um, so, what seems a little obvious, we'll find out: is it obvious or is it not? Um, yeah. Any any first impressions about this parable? Yeah, you know, I, I, I
3: want to say yeah.
2: something real quick just just to please throw please something. Do. Obscure and obscene out there, but it's this that this is actually kind of sexual if you think about it. You know, oh, you talking so about seed? Yeah, if, if you bring up, if, if you put this in the context of old onan,
1: uh, uh-huh, <laughs> poor onan, oh, scattering seed. Now, you now don't jump ahead because we're we're doing a series eventually on weird bible stories and I think that would definitely be one we would have oh, to Oh
2: absolutely yeah. absolutely but you know that that's the one that uh that that basically makes masturbation evil. But no I I I just think that there that there is something here um and and this is kind of a um uh, deferring to Katie and uh and her uh tome on sex and slavery and you know This is really, there is a, you can make a sexual case for this. You can. Or
1: or can you?
2: I think you can. I mean, it's like, think about this. Seeds, seeds on the path. You know, you're just, you're just going by, you know, random, right? Seeds with thorns, the heartbreaks, the the disappointments, right? The rocky paths, you know, the difficult relationships. And then the good soil, you know, that produces a legacy.
0: Mm. This parable did not come up in my research on uh, on First Corinthians, but I'm uh, I'm just I'm trying to think of the vocabulary. I mean, the, I think the word for like seeds is similar. Yep. Uh, but oh, really, yeah, but it is in English too. yeah, well, yeah there yeah. are,
3: and there are a lot of euphemisms uh, about yeah, things like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I was going to say, I think, you know, Katie, like when you say it seems obvious that, the, you know, the meaning of the parable seems obvious. Well, partly because it's the only parable that Jesus actually takes time to explain exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, and, and so I wonder, I just, I've always wondered, like, if Jesus didn't explain it, would it be obvious to us? Or would we still be debating like, no, no, it means this, it means that? Because the other ones, he really doesn't, right? And we we're left to kind of, oh, I think. I think you know what he means here. But I don't know. It's one of these things where you can't unknow something. So, like I, I, I already know what it means. It seems so. That's why it seems obvious to me. But I, I really do wonder uh, if it hadn't been explained, would it have been obvious?
0: Yeah, well, Where does he
3: explain and, it? He explains it right after, correct?
0: Yeah, Yes, he does, right like, after. Directly after. There's a little, there's just this little interlude where the disciples are asking him questions. Um, and so like verse 11, he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything comes in parables. And the then... The
1: thing is that, so, so the point is that the disciples didn't get it. They didn't. Right. They had to ask Jesus. They, so it wasn't intuitive to them. So it probably also wasn't very intuitive to a lot of the people standing, you would assume, I guess. Right. The people standing around probably also went home going, oh, this guy's just talking about some guy, you know, planting seeds in his garden. Like, what's that about?"
0: Yeah, and so at some, at some level, it's a very typical parable because it's using agricultural language. It's something that everyone would have understood. Yeah, you understand if you just throw seed on a rocky path, it's probably not going to um, yield the yield what you need. And of course, this is people um, in the first century, especially in, in this part of the world, are uh, very much reliant, dependent. On their crops on their seeds on uh on on good soil right they're very much dependent on good soil and i also i've never i don't think i've ever thought about the parable in this way so this is very much off the top of my head but we do know that the roman empire um you know had cash crops as well and so people who were used to subsistence farming if they had big farms uh, a lot of that grain would go to Rome. It would go to feeding Romans. It would go directly to the, like the city of Rome, even. Um, and so, this also might be. Um, I wonder if there's something economical in here as well about uh, the value of people being able to grow grow their own gardens, grow their own good soil. So, haven't ever I have not thought about that too much. Uh, so, that's uh, just take this as first uh, first foray for an article that might be forthcoming, uh, as I think about that. But. Um, yeah. And so Jesus actually explains this article, but uh, this article, this parable. Uh, but is it as obvious as we think it is? So what you know, at the surface level, what's it about?
3: It's about uh everyone going to hell.
1: Yeah, sure. That's a decomposition, <laughs> right? Well, and know,
3: only 25% of the people go to heaven. <laughs>
2: back in my preaching days, this was about the word of God. That yeah. some, sometimes you preach it. And it falls by the wayside, and sometimes it falls among the thorns, and it's and it's choked out. And sometimes it falls upon the rocks. But when it falls on good ground, the word of God produces faithfully.
0: So it's a like a commission to evangelize, exactly. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think does um, it
1: seems to me like the the point that Jesus is making. Oh, it's hard to say, right? I mean, so you get sort of the, the word goes out, the gospel is preached, and then there's sort of four different reactions to it, right? So initially it's rejected or it's, or initially it's received, but then it, um, people fall away because they're persecuted. So then they kind of like, oh, this is too much. They can't count the cost. I'm, I'm out. Um, so you have very, or, you know, the cares of the world sort of, uh, draw them away from it. And then it's only those that, the good soil, quote unquote, good soil are the ones who sort of receive it and hold on to it in spite of uh, adversity, in spite of difficulty, in spite of in uh, that. Persevere yeah.
2: in the name of Jesus.
1: But it still seems pretty simple. Like it's, it, it. it I mean, I guess it's just sort of saying. I guess what we what we don't have right as much as some of the other parables is sort of the this negative sort of like a warning. Like there's not a stick and a carrot. Like there's not really a stick so much in this. Parable, i mean i guess you could it maybe i guess if you think like well i don't want to be the one that falls away i don't want to be the i don't want to be the seed that that dies or that you know doesn't doesn't uh, have roots or bear fruit or whatever i guess in general but it's there's not a whole lot of fear in this one there's not a whole lot of like danger or warning uh that's
0: ramped up yeah it there's a man and lazarus tone yeah it, it seems just a pretty straightforward
1: you speak you preach the gospel and there's four different kinds of reactions Okay.
3: Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, see, so I have a little, I guess, different take. And um, so he's talking about like the kingdom of God, right? He's, he's talking about a like a present reality. And in I, I always liken like raising a child because I have a daughter who is, is still young. And in that when you tend to the soil of someone's life, that's when plants grow really well. So when I do gardening, I do I do a lot of gardening. I don't really do much with plants. It's all about the soil. It's all about tending to the soil and to, to the environment around you. So I see this less about like, we always individualize these things, like which seed am I? It's all these like I statements rather than as a society, are we tending to the soil around us so that we can all be fruitful? And so I see a more communal thing. And so like when you when you have the agricultural focus like they did back then you grow plants together some give nitrogen to the soil some take away nitrogen from the soil so you want to plant certain things with certain other plants you don't want to plant certain plants with other plants that aren't going to that, that aren't going to work so well together so i i see this as more of a communal and relational thing about how we set up the kingdom if if that's what we want to call it um, in a communal way, rather than worrying about am I the am I the seed that falls in the path or the thorns or this and that.
0: So I really Absolutely. like that direction, Matt, because I think that gets us away from having this be a straightforward allegory. So, yeah. like in Jesus' yeah. interpretation, he never says I'm the sower, right?
3: Okay, yeah. right.
0: And so it's um, it seems to be um, maybe a little more multivalent than a direct allegory, which is the direction I think you were going, right? How do we tend, um, how do we tend the soil uh, in right. community?
3: Right. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, like that. that's, 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 that's what I've always thought about how, like, you know, all my focus when I garden is, is the potash and and the, the phosphorus and the nitrogen, in the soil, do I have red worms or not? You know, what, uh, am I planting the corn with the, um, with the beans and with the, with the squash because you know you want to you want to make sure that that the plants are giving and taking in a in a in a in a positive way. And so it's all about the soil, it's not about the plant itself.
0: So yeah, let me let me run something by, um, by all. Let's see what we think. And this is um, not based on what uh, I, no, no original research here. This is on a book by Marianne Tolbert called Sewing the Gospel. But she gives us the idea that this parable kind of lays out a template for the whole, the Gospel of Mark that follows um, this, which is most of the Gospel. And this comes at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry uh, in this particular Gospel, or pretty near the beginning, and that, in the gospel, we can see people who are um, the four different kinds of soil, um, people who are seeds on the path, people who are thorns, you know, people who, um, people who hear, hear the good news and then uh, they, they rise up and then they kind of fade away. And then we can also see those who are on the rocky path. And then the good soil, I'll save just for a little bit later, um, but we can see all of these soils in the different characters. And I think the most interesting one, if, if this is a theory that is helpful, I think the most interesting one is the seeds that fall on the rocky path. Because as we see directly after um, this parable in between when Jesus explains it, we see the uh, disciples being idiotic. They are just totally <laughs> idiotic throughout the entire gospel. The people who are closest to Jesus never actually get it uh, in this gospel. And they ask stupid questions throughout. And it's like, uh, it's like they're in a bad sitcom bumbling up against each other, like they're (laughs) in a Charlie Brown uh, cartoon. And of course, the name Peter, or Cephas, means rock. (gasps) Uh,
3: And so it's a little
0: pun, right? Like the disciples... (laughs) The disciples are the rocky ground. And of course, they abandoned, like at the very end of the gospel, they abandoned Jesus. They're always quibbling over who's going to be first in the kingdom of heaven. Peter denies him. I mean, it's, it just goes on and on and on. And once my eyes were open to that, I was like, they really are idiotic in this gospel. Oh, they are. Like, yeah. Like whoever <laughs> yeah. wrote the, whoever Mark, whoever wrote the gospel of Mark is just not impressed. And so they're actually the epitome of the rocky soil. So I don't know. What do, what do you all think? Could this be helpful? a helpful way to approach the parable. I I actually, I love that actually. And I I agree. I I
1: have, I have noticed that uh, myself in the past of like, when I used to preach sermons and and teach Bible studies and stuff, uh, I I would often point out the fact that, yeah, the disciples are actually kind of losers. And it's one of the things that's kind of endearing (laughs) is that, man, I mean, if they're the ones sort of telling the story, they don't, they don't embellish it. They don't make them, they don't like, Oh no, no, let's leave that part out. No, they're like, no, they were arguing along the way, which of them was the greatest. And you know, Jesus is like weeping, you know, he's grieving because his cousin John the Baptist has been beheaded, and all they can do is to say, Oh, excuse me, can we sit at your right hand and all this stuff? Like they're so callous and cruel and yeah. and 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 tone deaf and uh they don't get it. He tells them like three or four different times specifically that he's going to go to Jerusalem and die, and they just like Smash, what is he talking about? We don't know what he means uh and it's like yeah they're kind of stupid and dense and slow and they don't get it and absolutely that is the case and i actually kind of like that about the disciples that they don't make themselves the heroes of the story of oh well of course but we understood but so it's fascinating to think that that yeah the disciples themselves could be Perhaps they're the rocky
0: soil. That's really interesting. And they're always asking the wrong question. Yeah. Who's going to be first in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus' is like, oh, not again, not but, again. Like
1: even, by the way, in the, so Wendy and I are reading to the David Bentley Hart, uh, New Testament for like the sixth time. And, and we're in the Gospel of Mark. And, um, it's the, we just finished reading the part where he does the second miracle where he did, he multiplies the loaves and the fishes and the, the bread, the bread and the, and the, and the fish. And, and even in that, after that, you know, they're in the boat and he warns them about the yeast of the Pharisees and they think, oh, he's saying this because we forgot to bring bread. And he's like, guys, seriously, you think that's what I'm talking about? And he has to remind them, remember the time, you know, you, the first time I did the miracle of the loaves and fishes, remember how many baskets you had collected? I remember the second time, I mean, like, you still don't get it. And so it, it makes this huge point about how, yeah, they just really don't get it. And uh, I, again, yeah, I love that part of it, uh, just kind of showing how they just seem to be so clueless and how they're bumbling around. So if it's, if the disciples are the rocky soil, um, what's the good soil?
2: You know, Katie, I'm going to tell you something. That was the most eye-opening understanding of this that I've ever, ever heard. That, that, that these guys, they're, they're idiots, right? And, and, and if you think about it, Jesus checks them on it. You know, he tells them on multiple occasions, how long do I have to deal with you? Right. How long do I have to suffer with you? Because he's, he's basically saying, look, you, you're riding with me. You're seeing this firsthand and you don't get it. So. I'm I'm with you Katie and I'm with you Keith that the rocky soil are the people who are ostensibly closest to Jesus. So so the the, the rocky soil then if you look at it in a modern context the rocky soil <laughs> are the preachers. <laughs> I mean it's it's not it's not the people who are who are hearing it the the good the good ground are are the people who in spite of the intermediary their hearts are prepared to receive it
3: i mean it kind of piggybacks on on some of the things we've been saying about these parables like they're supposed to shock us they're supposed to get us you know we always see ourselves as the uh you know the good guys of these stories but Sometimes when we're the, it's like when we're the closest to something, we can't see it, and yeah, and so right. sometimes when we're the closest to Jesus, when you know we're close to Jesus, we, we don't really know who Jesus is. We don't know what he's all about. Like we we get so close that we have a supposition about what he's about. We already know what he's about. Oh, we got this. You know, I, I study the word daily. Uh, I, I'm in the all the Bible studies. I'm doing all the worship. I'm preaching from the pulpit, and it's like well, sometimes those are the folks that don't know Jesus at all. It's, it, it's, it's the people you don't think would know Jesus that really do. Yeah.
0: Well, and I'm curious what the word, um, how, how we might kind of work with what the word is. I yeah. think it's just sort of a standard kind of conventional evangelical interpretation. It's that's like that's obviously point. the Bible, right? But I, yeah. I don't think it's that simple. Um, so what is the word? It's logos in Greek. Um, but what, what is that word? How does that take root in good soil? And I, I hope that that's multivalent um, as well. I don't think one, there's one obvious answer, but I, I don't think the answer is actually Jesus. I think, you know, my, my sort of take Ooh. on this is that it is the good news and that right. good news is ever yeah. ever the same and ever changing. Mm.
2: Right. And, and that, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's the gospel. Yeah. It's it's that good news. It's that thing that says that, hey, you know, you've been taught that you are fucked up all along. And and the reality is, is that you're not. That you have been separated all along. And the reality is that you're not. Uh-huh. And and so so here, this is the word. It's not the book. And 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 for those uh for you uh Jesus freaks out there, it's not Jesus. It's this good news. And that's a very, 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 um, that's a very good point, Katie.
1: Yeah. And then the, I, I would say, yeah, uh, this actually un, unpacks a whole nother can of worms because It does. we also do the same thing with this idea of the gospel, right? Christians, a lot of Christians assume, oh, well, I know what the gospel is. Um, it's this thing that Calvin came up with in the 1500s. It's been a substitutionary <laughs> time <period>. That's <laughs> right. That's what that is. It's plain, it's plain as day. Um, And, uh, but other people would be, you know, like, well, no, that's not what Jesus says the good news is in the gospels. And, and, or even this idea that the good news is really good news. It's seriously good news. It's maybe even scandalously good news. That's radical and can can I I throw something
2: in? Can I throw something in real quick? This is a bomb that when, when I saw this, this blew my mind that the word gospel literally means, literally means too good to be true news. Hmm. And, and that in the, lexicon of Greek literature that was period consistent with the the gospels, right? That that word gospel only occurred twelve or thirteen known times among Greek literature. It was a hyperbole of the highest order of magnitude. Yeah. So so it's like when you when you say the gospel, it's like some it, it, it's like saying to someone super califragilistic And oh, this
0: is, uh, this might be really old um, scholarship that, that has been contested, um, so I'm going off of uh, a memory more than anything really recent that I've read, but that this has political the word gospel has political connotations like good news, the emperor's coming good news the governor is coming like it would be used in these um like the Ooh. parades that romans would have to wow. so talking about good news in this way it's it's good news that something on a different order
1: right yeah though de- definitely there order. was a there was an appropriation of the early church with sort of roman empire uh images and and message messaging and how I, so jesus kind of replaces a lot of that Right. He's Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Right. Right. Um, And all those kinds of things. And that is a fascinating thing to study as well. But I I, again, I just feel like the good news is better news than we probably have been told it is. Right. It is more of this idea that, you know, God is not counting our sins against us. And he has reconciled everyone to himself. And um, no one is separated from the love of God and nothing could ever separate anybody from the love of God ever. Uh, that that kind of level, but again, we're not all we're not all going to agree on that. So some people don't see it that way.
2: Well, I, w- I want to go back to what what Katie said about the emperor is coming or the governor is coming, and and this is really really huge because Jesus used period consistent language, and so when when he said, "Upon this rock I will build my church," or "Upon this truth I will build my government," that word ecclesia. Is the same word that was used to identify the Roman Senate. So this was a government term. So so that's consistent with what Katie said that this gospel is the good news of the the leadership or the representative of the overarching government is coming. I, I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. That. that
3: and it's coming in the in the exact opposite of the way you would think. Yeah.
2: Right. Exactly. Yeah, through a sower. Yeah. That 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 warms my Bible hating heart. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, should we talk about um should we talk about the good soil? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a that's a very fascinating um question. So that, you know, and again, this is, uh, Marianne Tolbert. Thank you. Thank you for your book, uh, for your work. Um, so we're going to have to skip to the very end of the Gospel of Mark, to Mark 16. Um, so those of you who are at home and listening, pull out your Bibles. Uh, I'm going to give a really brief overview here, but at the very end of the Gospel, we have really, um, a couple of endings in the Gospel of Mark, um, in, The we have the shorter ending and then the longer ending and kind of an in-between intermediate ending. But the original gospel most likely ended at verse eight. And this is after the women go and they find the empty tomb. And the last verse of the original version most likely ended like this. Uh, They went out and fled from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. So it's tempting to think that the women are the good new, are the good soil, right? Like they're the ones who actually stay until the end of the gospel. But in the end, they run away and they say nothing to anyone because they're afraid. So in the end, they actually don't end up telling the good news. So um, Marianne's theory, uh, which I uh, resonate with, is that it is the readers who are the good news, the good soil, or not the good news, sorry. The readers are the good soil. We're the ones who read the gospel and then respond. Um, if we're kind of taking parables as a way to kind of shock us into, um, into different action, I think the gospel of Mark does that as a whole, um, just with the disciples being so idiotic. And when we get to the end, they're like the weird, like the women said nothing. Oh my gosh, what a terrible ending. It is a bad ending. But then it's incumbent. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, but it's actually the perfect ending because then it's up to the reader to respond, um, to the good news that's presented in the gospel. Um, so there's the theory. There's the theory. Um, thoughts.
1: I, I love that. Uh, mm-hmm. I actually, this is the reason why Wendy and I started reading the gospel of Mark this time around, because it is chronologically the, the, the earliest gospel, most most scholars would say that it's, it was written first, and 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 because it it does have this sort of ambiguous original ending, I like the fact that it's um, I don't know I guess of the of all four of the gospels, it's probably the most human to me. It's the most it's the one that has more of the sort of the doubt and the questioning, unanswered questions, and and that kind of thing. And I really love that. And so that idea that at the beginning of Mark. Jesus tells this parable. He gives us these four soils. It's the only one that he explains. And then as we're reading throughout, continue to read throughout the Gospel of Mark, we start noticing all these different soils being presented. And we recognize that there really is no example in the Gospel of Mark of the good soil. And then the idea is that, well, then that's that's us. It. It's, or, Go, or maybe it's yeah. it's it's begging the question, is it us? Right, right. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I like yeah,
3: that. Yeah, I, I, I like the... um. I I like everything being said here. I I like the fact that it, it lets us almost be a part of the story. Yeah. Um, You know, we, we uh, get to continue the story because you're right. Like if we just read, if we just picked up a book of fiction, we opened it up and that was the way the story ended. We'd be like, what the fuck is this? Like, this this is not how, (laughs) this is is not how books end. If they make a movie out of it, be like, you'd leave the theater, like muttering to yourself. Like this was terrible. But it's a in this film. way, yeah, <laughs> right. It's a foreign indie film. Yeah. Um, but in this way, you walk away feeling like, okay, now, now go, now what, now what? You get to be a part of that story.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, I guess most of it becomes fan fiction, but you know, needless to say, that's okay too.
0: Well, that's, you know, I, this part I think is so compelling to me. Um, that just the gospel of Mark as, as a whole. Um, and it's weird, choppy. We, we call it, um, GSL. It was Greek as a second language written weird, weird little book, uh, that it is because it's a reminder to me that we are the continuation of the story. Um, and yeah. it's the reminder to me that mm. the, that there's so many imperfect people in, in scripture and, lo and behold, I'm not perfect. It's, it's actually okay. (laughs) Um, it's, it's okay. There's, uh, there's opportunity for, for response, there's opportunity for growth and that the story continues, the narrative continues. And I'm, I'm part of that story. And so that's, that's the part that I just love. Like 2000 years later, we're still telling the story, um, in these new weird heretical F-bomb laden ways.
1: I can't imagine. Who would say
3: that about us? No one would say that about us.
1: (laughs) sorry there you go yeah well this has been I, I really have enjoyed this series a lot I feel like we've been able to come at some some of these people like a parable especially like this one which is so common you know it seems like it seems kind of obvious like well there's not a lot to pull out of that but I feel like wow we've really found some really interesting stuff and Katie I really appreciate you bringing some of that to this conversation because it's been really it's really helped to help us chew on it a little bit and see it from a different angle that's really cool
3: Yeah. And I know we've got at least a few more parables. Um, I think, you know, just going back real quick before, before we wrap this thing up is that I think the minute we put like a limit on what these parable means is, is is the minute we kind of miss a point. And I just, I just, I love the fact that we can, I've heard a bunch of stuff today from Katie, especially and, and before and the other ones that I hadn't heard before. And it's like, it just opens up the parables to hold whole different level of it like you know like a like a Buddhist cone. Like it gets you to think outside of your normal logical parameters.
0: Right. It's such a good analogy, Matt. I'm so glad you made that uh, analogy at the very beginning of the series. Mm-hmm.
3: Well yeah. I am I, I make great points once in a while. Once every <laughs> twenty episodes or so
0: it fell on good soil. It fell on good soil, okay. it fell on good soil.
3: well done. I hope. <laughs> I hope. Yeah. Well anyway, speaking of good soil, we have a website And I hope that that website is growing in good soil. It is heretichappyhour.com. All of our episodes are there. We've got some merch like hats and t-shirts and stuff like that. But we also have a bookstore. So up on the top there, on the top bar, if you're at heretichappyhour.com, you can click that bookstore and you can find books from previous heretics of the week. Most of them are 15% off normal retail price. And they also help support the show. So win-win. Save money in your pocket and uh, help out your favorite heretical podcast.
0: Awesome! We also have a Facebook group called Heresy After Hours. It's got over two thousand uh, good soil, rocky soil, thorny soil, whatever, all kinds of soil. and uh, thorny. There, who are all asking really great questions. Uh, it's a free Facebook community where all four of us are pretty active in it. Uh, it's a great supportive community. So just come on. You can just type in Heresy After Hours in the Facebook search bar and join us. That's right. And if you cannot get enough of the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, then come on. Who can
1: really come on? Um, if you want, if you would like just, if you ever, if you ever at the end of the episode say to yourself, man, I wish there was like more to this. I wish they would go, you know, expand a little bit longer on some of these topics or maybe these interviews, these heretics of the week. I wish, you know, they'd ask maybe one or two more questions. Well, let me tell you guys, uh, we have a place for you. It's called Patreon, patreon.com slash. Heretic Happy Hour is where you can come and you can support your favorite podcast. Um, and we have so many amazing goodies for you at many different tiers. You'll get uh, at the $2 level, you'll get uh, access to bonus uh, interviews, bonus uh, podcast footage, bonus uh, conversations. At the $10 level, you'll get PDFs of each of our, some of our books that we have available. At the $25 level, we have quarterly Zoom calls you'll be welcome to. And yes, believe it or not, if you really, really, I mean, really love the Heretic Happy Hour and you would like to smack down $100 a month, let me tell you, there's almost nothing we won't do for you. And one of those things is you could be be our next Heretic of the Week. And, uh, and, uh, you know, we've done it before. We'll do it again. Uh, So for all of you who do support us on Patreon, we love you. Thank you so very much. It makes it very possible for us to continue to do what we do on this amazing podcast. If you don't support us yet, Please head over there to patreon.com/slash heretic happy hour and check it out. And by the way, you'll also get access to a secret, private, exclusive Facebook group that is available only to those who support us on Patreon.
2: That is the equivalent of a heretic happy hour lap dance.
1: (laughs) Oh boy, did I just do that?
3: Jesus.
1: (laughs) I wasn't aware of giving verbal lap dances here.
2: (laughs) So If you love the Heretic Happy Hour podcast and you're listening to it and you're subscribing to it, which you should be doing all of the above, please make sure that you come out and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. And I promise you that you will plant your seed in good ground. Or Mm -hmm. if you don't, We'll knock your dick in the dirt.
0: <laughs> Satan will come and snatch it up. That's
1: right. The birds of the air will come and snatch it away. Mm-hmm.